0: Hey everyone welcome to episode number 17 of the new slang podcast I'm Thomas Mooney the editor-in-chief of newslang um yeah this week we have three great Lubbock singer songwriters uh, that we talked to it's uh, it's kind of like a little roundtable discussion with Carrie Sweeney Wade parks and Brandon Adams um yeah in this episode we talk about a lot of a lot about like Lubbock music and uh, a little bit of the history of Lubbock music, uh, what Wade and Carrie and Brandon um, kind of, I guess, like their, their startup here in Lubbock as songwriters and performers and uh, how, how they became uh, vital voices in this scene. And, um, you know, how they've seen the, the town change and seen how people view music from here, all that kind of stuff um yeah anyways uh we'll go to just get on straight to the interview so uh yeah here it is
1: okay so i'm sitting here with uh carrie sweeney wade parks and brandon adams at the blue light um yeah i think like right now uh would you guys agree that brandon is kind of like the the bridge from like that 80s, 90s Lubbock music to what's going on right now in in town?
2: Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I I what do you think, Brandon?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I do It's a lovely question for me, I guess.
1: Well, I think like, <laughs> you know, you're the one who had this idea of doing this. Uh, well, yeah, abs-
3: yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't intend to bridge anything. I guess I did, but I wanted the the younger uh, songwriters here to understand and. Realize they have so much To learn from Around them In the city of Lubbock And the people That play music here For a long time <laughs> I don't know I suck at answering questions Thomas
1: uh, I know This is just supposed to be A conversation You're acting Like uh, once we started Once I hit recorded You changed into a different I know I,
3: uh, I'm going to get a drink Real quick I'll be right back <laughs> <laughs>
2: Alright And Wade wants what yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say chronologically I'd say ask yeah, Wade Chronologically <laughs> yeah.
4: Brandon. Does come along uh, at a point where I was just kind of starting to play gigs around here, and I remember B.A. with Swamp Donkey doing the. (laughs) There was a terrific set at what is now Rocky Larue's. It's been several names, but that's right. uh, I saw a couple of their jams there, and then not long thereafter, you you and I were doing. I think there was some Stonegate, uh, (laughs) South Indiana gigs, (laughs) and that wasn't very. I think it was 01, 02.
3: Oh yeah, it was oh so one, oh one I, 01, I oh, th- think. Oh mm-hmm. yeah.
4: But if you're talking about a bridge, then I was kind of just getting my foot in the door around here. But you and I were playing music right there. We were,
3: Wade and uh, uh, Garland Peterson, who were doing this not for as well. They were the first two guys that I'd ever seen play acoustic here in town when I was a f- sophomore in college at Tech. I just started playing guitar just because I went into video games and whatever. So I went down to Mesquite's. If y'all remember, the old Mesquite's had the tree growing in the middle of the bar. It was really cool. Yeah. And uh, they had this really awesome open mic that Garland ran it for a while, didn't he? It was the Greasy cool. Finger Jam. Yeah, the Greasy Finger Jam. So if you showed up, they had a keg of Lone Star and free barbecue if you got your guitar played out and played a song. Yeah. So I thought it was awesome. You know I was nineteen, I was like they make places like this, <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> so i I saw Wade play it, and it was really awesome because I had never seen anyone play something that they had written in a way like they like they do here, especially in Lubbock, but like how Wade did it and you um, no, it's real. don't shake your head, Wade um <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he learned it from carrie
2: <laughs> yeah uh yeah so,
3: yeah and, and then carrie came into the picture I, I meant to make friends with wade because i was just enamored with what he did and i wanted to do it too so i meant to become friends with you and thank you for not running me off but and then i met carrie hanging out with wade and i was like oh it just gets better <laughs> <You know>? like <laughs> they just keep going then dudes like richard bowden start showing up yeah and, it's like, man, how deep is this hole of awesome music here in this town?
2: It's uh, let me tell you. There, uh, of course, I'm a lot older than you guys, but there was a serious subculture that went on around here uh, in the '80s, and I met Richard in '87. There were there was an old and that that talk about a bridge. Um, there were the old guys like Richard Bowden and Jesse Taylor, and I wanted to meet all those guys, you know, and so then. Uh, because of if, if we 're going to talk about bridges uh because of those guys, then I got introduced to an entire you know group of uh Lubbock people that i that i that i that I knew of, but I never really thought i 'd be able be beginning on stage with them and singing and stuff like that and um you know Bowden was just i mean uh of course he 's a f- phenomenal player number one uh, he 's probably one of the best musicians i 've ever known um uh, but uh, that subculture i don 't know how much of a subculture we still have I mean back then you know they were there was a lot of uh LSD around, and we were all taking LSD and uh, smoking a tremendous amount of pot, and um, and those things were uh, just like uh, after gigs and stuff. You know, you everybody would meet at the same place, and it was sort of an old farmhouse north of town, and that's where I met Jesse Taylor and Richard Bowden and Joe Ely, and this this old farmhouse. It was ten miles north of Lubbock, in the middle of a cotton field, and so they when you went out there, they had like mushroom. Tea one refrigerator had nothing, but the whole refrigerator was dedicated to mushroom tea. So you just instead of going to get a beer. You had the hallucinogenic mushroom tea in the refrigerator. And all this music was just fantastic, you know. And I thought, man, I have found it, you know. <laughs> I finally arrived. And uh, then Richard, the first time I met him, he said, did you write those songs? And I said, yeah. And then we started just, we just hit it off, you know. And then that again introduced me to other people. And Wade and I... Um, I guess that came along probably about ten years later because you were uh, probably still a kid somewhere going to school uh, when you showed up. Yeah, but. Would have
4: been moved up here in '90, so about '93, '93, '94. We were starting to go see shows at Great Scots.
2: Yeah. Oh, really? I, I didn't. I, mm-hmm. you, I didn't. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, that whole Great Scotts thing got brought up today because of uh the passing of Garland Peterson. He was only sixteen years old when he was first coming out to Great Scotts. I didn't know how old the kid was, he was just in the audience, you know. I didn't have a clue. Oh,
4: yeah, we opened for the interstate now once. Uh, yeah. Garland and Sean and John Rowler,
2: I think. Yeah. And then I actually met you, Brandon. I think at Wade's house one night, yeah, and I had a diarrhea that night. <laughs> I remember it because I was in a real, I was in a real shitty mood, and I just, you know, I told Banana I just didn't feel good. I remember that night very well because I later on I said, I bet everybody thinks I'm a real prick, but I just, you know, I was running back and forth to the bathroom to take a shit, literally. So, you know, and I, I you probably don't remember uh, uh, what I, kind of a mood I was in. You
3: know, I remember a little bit. Of it, uh, it's a while back. Uh, it, there was a few nights at Wade's, um, and I always thought, man, I don't think Carrie likes me. <laughs> he doesn't ever remember who I am. <laughs> and then, and, and then finally, he's like, "Oh, Brandon, Brandon, yeah, Brandon, yeah, it, man, and, uh, yeah, oh, good, good, he doesn't hate me." <laughs>
2: <laughs> no,
3: one no. of those nights, she sat there in Wade's kitchen and played a song called "Casa Winnebago."
2: Yeah, remember I, that one? I haven't played it in years, but I know what you're talking about. I
3: remember, I remember and I, the whole night I, I asked Benay, you know, and and everyone there at the party, I was like, "Where can I get a copy of this?"
2: Okay, well, listen, I've we were listen. talking earlier. You, I tell you what, uh, if you want to do a co-write on that, because I never thought it was right, then I'll, I'll, I'll I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious too. I'll okay, I know the song you're talking about. Yes. Uh, I, I just I just don't feel like it's finished, and I never really I never really did anything with it. And you liked it. I loved it. Okay, well then. Uh, well, there we go. Okay, let me see. I think I've got it. Maybe I uh, maybe I've recorded it. I'll have to go see if Alan carlson has got it recorded somewhere because I have some version of it. It needs to be fixed. Okay. In my opinion, it needs to be fixed.
3: Well, your hook is on point. For, I mean, from the seven years ago that I heard it, I still know that it was it's a pretty damn good hook.
2: So. I see. I haven't played that thing, and probably. I don't know. Probably, maybe that was the last night I played it. I don't know.
3: And I recall that night you were. It was. It had been a while before that too. So, yeah. Well, maybe we ought to give it some new life. That would be awesome.
2: Uh, it would be great with me. I, I really mean that. And uh, uh, so I, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this right now because who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll end up wanting to even do the song. I mean, in public, you know, for, for people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can speak I of this for my wife and several of their
4: friends. They've Got, they've got a small legion of people that'll they will walk you through that song.
3: Okay, that's that's gonna it's, be helpful. It's a crowd favorite.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, again, it's no the fat girl called. in an ice cream store. Fat, I need to release that one too. I'll play that one tonight. I always like fat girl in an ice cream store. The problem was that uh, every time I sang it, girls, you know, got. Sideways with me And then finally Two women finally recorded it Once the If a girl sings Fat Girl in an ice cream store It's sad When I sing it They think You fucking asshole You know And they don't listen to the words It's you a know? sweet song It's a sweet song You know It's a sad song About this poor chick Serving ice cream To all these skinny kids You know
3: And you relate it to like A drunk at a bar With like a buffet yeah. At the same time it's Yeah, Yeah Brilliant
2: yeah, well, I don't know about that. But I'll sing it tonight. Uh, as a matter of fact, as you bring it up, then I'll do it. Uh, I never released it, but uh, now that one I'm keeping. I like that one, and I, <laughs> I to hang, hang on to that one. I'm trying to get as many as I can. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll I'll get back with you on that. I'm dead serious. I tried to write a song with Wade, and and then I started the song, and it ended up being about a a, a gay right wing Republican cowboy that gets caught getting fucked up the ass. Uh, uh, got, he's got his he got he's got his the chorus the chorus goes uh uh oh he never thought he'd ever get caught with his palms on his tailgate and his gun belt to his knees. And Wade heard it was like Wade said I don't want anything to do with that song. <laughs> song. So, it. so it was a love song. It is a love song. I may do that one tonight too. Now, see, I liked it. I was like, Wade, I was just trying I said, let's write a song together. So I got it started, he's like Fuck no! I'm not touching that fucking song. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> uh, tempo. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, you may reconsider it tonight when I do it, and the crowd loves the damn thing. No, I'm kidding, man. I don't know if I'll do it or not, but uh, anyway, we're just jacking.
3: No, this is
1: exactly what this podcast needs, or any podcast really. But um, okay, so all three of you guys. Do a really great job of uh, describing what it is to be in West Texas, um, what what it is to live here, uh, to be from the area. Um, what 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 was it that really drew you to even write about the people who inhabit West Texas, the Panhandle?
2: Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, I I for me personally and I'm not going to speak for for Brandon and Wade but I really wasn't I was I wasn't really familiar with uh and I'm still not that familiar. My my influences were Jackson Brown and Randy Newman. I've had people over the years that, you know, will do an interview or something and say, well, I guess you were influenced by Joe Ely, and I think Joe Ely's fantastic. But no, I wasn't. I don't own a single Joe Ely record, and it's not because I don't think he's good. It's just that that's not what influences me. I need to be drawn in by something. For me, it was other things other than West Texas. Now, I know you're talking about the people, maybe, of West Texas and stuff, but uh, for me, I don't know, again, I can't speak for you guys. I don't know what influenced you. I,
4: I think guilt by association is one thing I would, I would use because my folks are from this area, and when I would hear, you know, just your your basic Waylon and Willie that we had going in the station wagon on road trips, you, you're driving through West Texas hearing that thump of a sound, uh, and then I got out here to Texas Tech, and it was some friends of mine and, you know, strangely, my big, tall, ugly brother, Russell, turned me <laughs> on to a lot of what's going on around here. I didn't necessarily get hooked by anything larger and then get drawn in. I just, Russell called me up and said, there's this place called uh, Great Scott's and you need to be coming and watching this band called the Bel Airs and you can bring a cooler and there's music almost every night of the week nice this is where I heard the first Joe Ely songs and um, about the time I discovered Guy Clark and, and the Van and angle of the songwriting but as far as taking my own shot at trying to write some of that stuff and, and around here it's I guess it's that sort of in the air thing about something you can pinpoint it, and to me it's always personal when you're hear a song and they're talking right at you to me, that's what I'm listening for, and the ones that I draw to, I guess if it is geography, it'll, it'll pull
2: me in, and I'm guilty. Of it. Well, I will say this, and y'all may feel this too, and I mean this sincerely. Um, you know how the sun sort of shines differently out in this part of the country. Like when you're like the way the the sun comes through a window in a house or something. It's not like the same sun that comes through a window and Austin or Denver or some other place. I mean, it's kind of weird and Richard Bowden one time speaking to Richard uh, I picked him up at the airport one time He came into town to do a Mains Brothers gig and we'd scheduled one for the for the night before and um when we got back to my house, he was walking around. Of course, Richard's a very odd person anyway, but he was walking around my backyard looking up at the sky. He was just walking around in circles looking up at the sky, and I said, what the hell are you doing? He said, something different around here. I don't know what it is. You know, He said, I've traveled all over the world, and every time I come to Lubbock, there's something weird going on around here. And I said, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, sometimes when you get up in the morning, I know you almost do this, and you think, I'm going to write a song today. I don't even know what it's going to be about.
3: just going to write
2: one. Yeah, I'm just going to write one. And Lubbock does that to me. For Speaking of the area, I can be somewhere where I'm really having a good time and it's a real pretty environment and everything. I don't feel like writing a song. You know, I'm having too much fun. And I get to Lubbock and I feel like writing a song for some reason and I can't explain that.
3: For me, it was very similar to... Um and having moved away from town recently in the last couple of years gave me a lot of perspective on that on that question you asked like um what what was it about West Texas that made it so inspirational and living further east now, you know we're enclosed by trees and and things and houses, and I can't see the sky where I'm at I've looked straight up in the air to see the sky. Here, that's not the case. I could look everywhere and see this guy, and it was just something about that that open frame of mind that helped me to write about here, and it was just so happened that I would—I don't think of songs and music and lyrics. I think of songs and pictures and, and images, and that's what I think of, like here when I was writing. So, you know, it's—it just just happened that way. It wasn't on purpose.
1: Yeah. Um. So, talking with people who are songwriters from here, I've always kind of felt that it's either one of two things. Like you start writing because it's so isolating and you're trying to get something out there that, that lonesome feeling, or, uh, a lot of your songs are influenced by the, the folks that are around you that like you wouldn't like, for example, Wade wouldn't be writing a song, uh, to just impress, uh, you know, somebody on the radio, listen to the radio. But, I mean first person he's going to show is a peer. Uh, you know, he'd show it to Brandon or whoever. Um, do you th- do you feel that's true for you guys? That like you know, a lot of your songs come from uh, just being isolated out here, being that uh, trying to capture that lonesome feeling or that feeling of trying to connect with people that you know on a first name basis. <sighs>
2: I don't know. For me, I don't know. I can't speak for you guys again, but there's a, there's sort of a, and people that don't feel this can obviously, they, they, there's something dreamlike sometimes, uh, about writing a song anyway. I don't know what people feel like when they're writing a song, when they're in Seattle. I've never been in Seattle writing a song, but for me, when I'm writing something and maybe it's just because I just happen to be here, but the same thing, uh, uh, when you're on stage sometimes you feel like you're sort of in this weird dream sometimes and you feel like it's a private thing like you you know what I mean there's all these crazy things rattling around, rattling around in your head it's almost like LSD in a way sometimes you know like have you ever done any LSD? no you should try some I think it would enlighten you honestly I really do you should try it at least once anyway I mean really do you, I can probably get you some if you want some <laughs> i just I'd go down to the, probably just ask some college kid for it. <laughs> but listen, if you are going to do LSD, not to change the subject, but if you are going to do LSD, you need to do it with people that you really know well. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do LSD and go to a Pink Floyd concert. Yeah. It's not going to work out for you, and you'll then you'll never want to do it again. But if you do it like uh, like you know you're going to go camping or something like that, yeah. I really. If you do you smoke any pot at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a complete square. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really ought to try that, Tom. I really. Uh, um, I'm sorry. You said your mother called you Thomas. Um, you really ought to try some LSD, and you then got maybe you might go out it, do. Go out
3: to Cottonfield uh, with Joe Ely and try some. I'd probably recommend that.
2: <laughs> you might have to write some songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Listen, the questions be answered for you already. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have tried to write when I'm really high, but it never works out. Uh, I have to perform and write t- t- sober, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, it's sort of like a, a trip uh, when you're writing something. And I'm not to get off the because the, the, we are in West Texas, and I guess that does influence people to write. I know it has me, and I don't know why. I don't really know why. Um, I'm not, I don't, I've never tried to write anything and I know I've heard their material too, and they're not, they're not doing this either, but I've never tried to write for the radio ever. Uh, I've always tried to write what I really wanted to say, you know, about whether, for example, whether the God exists or not, you know, I don't have any idea if God exists. Well, I'm, that inspires me to write about it. And also I think that's one of the things, maybe y'all feel this too, but, um, there are a lot of churches in this part of the country, and that's enough to piss you off right there <laughs> and want to write, you know? Well, I suppose you, you run into these people, and they they have that thing going, you know, where you realize that if you said even the slightest thing that might, they might not agree with, that you're fixing to have trouble with these people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause no, I, yeah. I was actually yeah. going to
1: bring this up later. Okay. but Sorry. I'm, no, no, no. Uh-huh. I mean, like, this is just supposed to be a conversation, not like a, <laughs> more like questions in my head.
3: Something Some like though. to touch on your question, though, like the an alternative part of it, I guess, is something that has really influenced me personally, being from Lubbock and writing songs, West Texas style, whatever you want to call it, um, was the first few years I got started here and there for a few years in Lubbock, and for a long, lot longer than I could realize, I guess, but there was this thing called the Lubbock Stare. I'm sure you've heard of it. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Um, if you played music and drove through the town, you probably played for hundreds of people, and none of them clapped for you ever, and hardly would even make eye contact with you. But then, when you would get done, you walk out the door. They'd be walking out, they'd shake your hand, and be like, "That was amazing, great job." And where were you? Where were you? I needed your encouragement, you know, earlier. But um, the 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 town's not like that anymore. But I remember for quite a few years, I would write songs just to spite those folks like look you know we could do this we're good at this shit here and you know i would i would just write just cuz i was pissed i mean it, part of my experience I, i'm not speaking for these guys either but you know. yeah. Yeah. uh Sometimes yeah adversity makes you it challenges you
4: i'll speak to the what you asked about uh, the personal issue of sharing with people no i don't think anybody i know is One of the first times I remember thinking, oh shit, write this down. Get a pen, write it down. I didn't even have my guitar with me. I told Stacy, I gotta go. I'll be right back. Ran to my house. I, I physically was shaking. My heart rate was up. And to somewhat lesser degree, when I come up with a song, I, I'm mainly just trying to keep up with my pen. If that's going on, I'm going, it is that sort of dreamy feeling, like, oh, okay, this song's going to be about this. And that line sounds fun, too. I would hope to someday delve in and really craft a song like the Carrie Swinney's of the world. I'm guilty of just kind of leaving it the way it's at, and I'll tweak here and there. but Mm -hmm. uh, Far from really crafting and building one, but when, for me personally, it's around 10.30 in the morning and be nice and relaxed with the guitar out, there's a good chance if I have that feeling of, oh, here comes one, boom, it's out. And the first person I do want to share it with is a peer. And that kind of goes around and comes around. You show up for Swinney's for Hordeaux's Michelob Ultras with or without LSD around the table. Um, He's going to be picking a song, and it will be, hey, what do you think of this? And he'll be on his mandolin playing some whacked-out tuning. (laughs) But to have a place where you can check in on somebody and they're going, what are you up to? And you say, well, here's, here's one, and it's a new one. You can bounce those ideas off each other. That's the encouragement, I think, that a lot of crowds are really not going to, at least for me, it's not going to boost me as much as that. As that
2: reciprocation. Well, I've been guilty of shock value for, for years. <laughs> I do it, man. If I'm losing them, fuck them. I do. I do the abortion song, or I do. I do something. I think I'm. No, I do leave it to your beaver or something. That I would, that If I were at a serious gig, I would not perform. But I think, well, if you're gonna do that, you're gonna do me this way. Then a, and then, then then they go. Then they. Then they. Then they. Then they become. You know. Then you realize just how shallow these motherfuckers really are. You know. And then you go, okay, well, I see where I'm at now. And you're looking over your song list again and going, okay, it looks like I'm going to have to do what if God is a woman and Jesus is a black man, you know, just to get their attention. Uh, and then, if you're lucky, you get to do one you really want to do, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, I'm guilty of the shock value thing for sure. I keep them on my song list at all times. It's like they're in a little box off in the corner. And if you're not going to give me any attention or, you know, and, of course, we're all children. Honestly, we all want to we all want to be told we're doing a good job one way or the other. We may say we don't, but we really do. Or we wouldn't be, tr- you know, uh, we wouldn't be trying so hard, you know.
3: I just never understand why people pay you so much money to show up somewhere and then don't give a shit about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in situations like that, you probably booked it a couple months ahead of time. You shut up with all your stuff. You're excited. Yeah, yeah. And then get there and it's a bunch of backs to you. And you're like, what? And then you got to pull out the songs, and then, then they turn around for sometimes just a minute, sometimes for the whole night.
2: I know y'all do this, but when there is a lull or you think they are giving you the attention that you want, that's when you do a slow one or one that's a little m- more you know closer to you somehow. Then you, you say, okay, I got it. I'm going to seize the moment and you, you know, you've been waiting to do a few songs and you go ahead and nail it right then and so say, I'm going to go ahead and choose it right now and see how long I can keep them. If you keep them through that song, then you go for one more maybe. And then, like any good bar, you're going to lose them. House concerts, I've done a lot of house concerts, uh, or I should say more, uh, just because of the thing we're talking about. You know, house concerts, you get their undivided attention most of the time. And that's, a, that's, a, that's not to say that, tonight in this bar it's not going to go well because we're in a bar with a lot of noise uh, but uh, that is a lot of times the case
1: how, how was the last one
3: it was great got uh, some really good performances um, it was for the most part it is a really quiet evening as far as being in a bar too you know we had we had a few people come in and, and uh, make a lot of noise really early but and oddly enough not even naming names but they own bars here in town too so so, so it's like, what? Why are you doing this? But uh, but it was it was awesome. Uh, Robin Griffin was on the show and Kent Means and Brian Wheeler. Robin really put on a spectacular performance, I thought. Wade was here. He saw it. But
2: oh, Robin's a natural-born front man.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I tell my friends outside of town that get to come here and, you know, sit in on a jam or a show or a songwriter night with him. And they leave here. And I tell them, like, dude, is my spirit animal, man. You know? Yeah. Watch him and, and you know. You learn learn something and uh take from it, and then they come back from where you know back home or wherever, and they 're like, "Oh man, that dude is rock and roll you know it, and yeah it, uh, and the guys in our band steal riffs from him, you know, like and he's just he 's here, you know he 's part of the 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 thread of love and music.
2: You know, we did a duo together, and sometimes we would add Richard on fiddle or Wally Moyers on steel. But me and Robin did a uh, for about seven years. We did a duo together, and um, and did some traveling: Fort Worth, Austin, some San Antonio. We did, co- we did some Texas traveling together. But um, he he is a natural born uh, front man. He 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 uh, he's probably uh, he's probably more at ease. Uh, at, uh, on that side of a microphone than he is just talking to him one-on-one. Um, I saw he had been traveling, he had been to Europe with a band called Rat Madness and he was the lead singer, he was the front man, and Jesse Taylor was the guitar player, so I mean that, that alone tells you what kind oh, yeah. of a band they did. So, but they had gotten back from Europe and I wasn't playing professionally yet, and just a little bit here and there, and I was in what was then called the Texas Spoon and I never had seen Robin Griffin. I just sort of went in there that night and, um, you know, his long red hair and this guy was just, you know, was all over that microphone. And I thought, man, this guy, I mean, he was impressive. Like, you know, this guy has no fear whatsoever. It was, uh, like, uh, kind of an going into an old school blues bar or something to watch him play, you know, as opposed to singing some, you know, stupid fucking song about San Antonio or Texas or some of the bullshit that we have to hear nowadays. I'm not, I, I shouldn't say this, but some of the Texas artists that are out there right now, I'm sorry. They're just, you know, just go fucking waste somebody else's time. I'm sorry. It's pathetic. Some of the bullshit they think is good. And what's sad is some of these people have really good audiences. are making really good money, but th- their songs are just, they're all they're doing is copying old jerry jeff walker and guy clark stuff and jerry jeff walker and guy clark were the real deal but these guys are not you know and it's like their fucking audiences are so shallow that they don't know you know what i mean i don't know what the hell's going on is it am i wrong or not
3: it's like when you take a song and you make a clone of a clone of a clone clone, yes song and it's like so fucking backwards that you're like what the fuck is this and why do you people like it because you know where it came from, and it's just it, it hurts to yeah. see that well, be what's popular.
2: Yeah, I, actually, I—I—I I, I was doing a gig, uh, I was doing a gig one time, uh, and Gary P. Nunn was on the bill, and I walked up to him and I just said, and he—he he was trying to be polite, you know what I mean? He was trying to be polite about it because he—he he was from that era, so you know when he wrote "London Homesick Blues." That was sort of a new thing to write something like that. You know what I mean? That was sort of a cool thing, and and I really loved it. I loved Home, London Homesick Blues and Gary Peanut and that whole thing. You know, I bought in all the way on that stuff. Rightly so, it was good stuff. But what? That's what I said to him. I said, and he tried to politely sort of uh, uh, dodge what I was trying to tell him. But that's what I said. I, I just basically I said, what do you think about all this stuff? I mean, basically, all they're doing is just copying you guys. That's what they're doing. You know, it's very obvious what they're doing. You know, and he was nice about it. But I could read his body language. He's thinking the same thing I'm thinking, you know. Uh, it's very, uh, it's sort of childish or something, you know. It's just, God almighty. <laughs> it's and for the kids, man. Yeah, it is for the kids. It is for the kids. And there's obviously a huge uh, amount of daddy's and mommy's money that pays, you know, the way for these kids to go pour beer on one another and watch a show, you know. And
3: you get that artists a bus to ride around Texas. In.
2: Yeah. I mean, and this isn't a jealousy thing, honestly. I, I, I don't want their life. I, I, I was interviewed by a Lone Star Music magazine, and they asked me uh, why I had been given the opportunity to open for some of these guys. And I, I was serious when I told them I'd rather stick a goddamn shotgun into my mouth and pull the trigger. <laughs> and I meant that.
3: <laughs> it's, a, it's a specific way of life that you have to commit to, to do that, for what those guys do. Uh, you know, it's a commitment to that music it's commitment to their audience and to like just financial commitments that are crazy. But it's amazing how those things come come to be for them, you know, and uh, it pays off, it does, it's weird. I don't, you would think the more authentic music would be what pays off in, in the industry, but it really doesn't. Yeah. You know. no, and so and
1: well, I think part of it is, is that, you know, these kids who are going there, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, and anytime you hear them say, oh, I'm going to go to insert name here concert. It's not because like they go, Oh, I love this guy's music. It's always, Hey, there's going to be a whole lot of girls there mm. and I'm going to get completely fucked up. <laughs> and <I'm> like, that's, <laughs> it's a party. It's not necessarily a, like it's a, an event. It's a, not a, a music experience, you know? Mm. And that's kind of like what you're saying about the whole clone thing. Um, I was telling somebody about how, you know, like, Jerry Jeff Walker, Robert O'Keen, those kind of guys, when they're singing in a nasally voice, that's just, like, their natural voice. And then all of a sudden, guys started copying that, and they're not even necessarily a nasally voice singing. They, They don't necessarily need to be singing that way. They can sing another way, but then it's just been ingrained that, like, oh, I should sing this way. And so then now we're, like, five, generations in or something you know five copies in
2: of people
3: singing yeah we could ask jerry jeff walker you probably say he got it from willis island Ramsey or somebody
2: yeah possibly yeah possibly i i uh you know it's again it sounds tacky to be talking this way but you know we're only going to live once we might as well tell the truth about how we feel about some things and you know it's just it's just nonsense um it's not that again i you know you don't want take somebody's living away from them. You're not going to do that anyway, but you know you're not you're not drawn into I won't name any names but you're not drawn into that stuff. Say like you are someone who really did write something that they truly did feel strongly about some particular subject. You are drawn into those things, and when you're driving down the road or you're late night, you know, and you've only got a lamp on in the house and you're listening to some old music of some kind, you know, uh, you you don't you don't want to listen to a a, a a party song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Part of it to me is, too, is, uh, is like some of these guys are 35, 40, and they're singing to a college crowd, and I, I just don't know what what they're getting out of that other than the monetary aspects of it. But it, it honestly kind of comes across sleazy and borderline creepy. I'm really glad. I'm, all, hey, man, I'm really Thomas. glad
2: you feel this way, Thomas. <laughs> you know, I don't know you, but I like you a whole lot better. <laughs>
3: play for college kids sometimes.
1: No, I mean, college (laughs) kids are cool. I mean, I'm...
3: I like them. they are not. Well, no, I'll take that back. They're all right. They're
1: all right, but you know what I'm saying.
3: I do. Yeah. I was a
4: college kid. Ran with the college kids, too. Mm -hmm. But it's a question of where are you going? What are you shown? What do you have in common with those guys? And, and, you know, when when we were just going any night of the week to see DG, Kent Niggs, Robin Griffin. Stand. there were bands playing amazing, world-class music in Lubbock. You just had to grab a Rock, on. pick one, and go.
3: Every day. That's and we
4: nice. knew that if you went to one of these joints, you were going to get a solid music event. And mm-hmm. if there were people there also enjoying it, cool. Good for them.
2: Well, and the the players, the side men of people that you're talking about, the side men. Like when I was a kid, you could go to a club called Fat Dogs on Fourth Street, and I remember seeing Stevie Ray Vaughan there for two dollars because no one knew who he was. But not only was Stevie Ray Vaughan good, but the people that were playing knew how to play their instruments. They didn't just do but; they just didn't do a lot of rhythm stuff. Uh, they actually uh had mastered their their instruments uh i i could just n- name one band after another but um and that's another thing that you'll turn on tv sometimes and you'll see somebody on uh you know like uh, like the old david letterman show or something and you don't really see anybody that's really playing any technique they're they're i'm, I'm no uh, lead player by any stretch i am not a lead player but um there aren't as many good lead players as there used to be. People are sort of getting away also with, I think, the tricks that are happening in the studios. And so that when they have to go play live, they're sort of marginal, you know, because the stuff that's going on in the studios. I had a, uh, there was a music critic down from the Austin area one time. He he said, hell, he said, I don't know what I'm listening to anymore. He said, every CD I get's perfect. He said that they sing in perfect pitch. Everything's perfect. He said, these people can't be that good. And they're not.
1: Yeah. Uh you know throughout Lubbock history or in any kind of music history really though um guys fall through the cracks, like the musicians that you know ten years ago were on top, and now like really nobody knows about where are some of those guys like that are making music that you feel today like no one none of the the new Lubbock guys even know about. Are there guys who just uh, fell through the cracks, if you will?
2: Or got tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. They just got tired of it. And, uh, you know, they would rather be home with a loved one or, you know, I mean, let's face it. uh, After you've been in a bar a few times playing music, it doesn't take long for that to go, okay, yeah, I get it. It's not that glamorous. Yeah. And this friend of mine, Michael O'Connor, has been on the road a whole lot more than I have. And he said, you know, the road is just the road is just the road. And he's right. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, making millions of dollars or you're barely making a living. You still have to go into that same crummy place to get something to eat because it's the only thing that's available. And then you get back on that road, you know, and it's there's not a damn thing glamorous about it.
4: our bars, our bars, <laughs> our bars, and when you're just going, just down the street, loading out, loading in, playing, and I've gone over this with him, he's responded the same way, and I keep begging him, come on, DG, bring those originals, just unload them on those
3: people, Oh yeah.
4: and he'll say, well, yeah, we can do that, but you know, even the greats, Calendar. I those working, yeah. Working mm-hmm. that are out there. I'm blessed to
2: one thing you've also got to do, uh, no matter where you're based out of, you, and you better have some when you, when people put out records a lot of times, they make a big mistake and this is my opinion, but I think I'm right about this. They will blow their budget on the recording and to get product when they need to keep a percentage of that budget to market themselves and to send press kits to places like, uh, you know, Australia and Italy and and all parts of Europe. You've got to do that. If you're going to have any leg, so to speak, you've got to know that a certain amount of the money that you're going to spend on a project has to go towards things like something as simple as postage. Um, and, 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 and line up everything. You've got a new record out, you know. You've got to get it out there. So if you're not going to hit the road, or you're not going to hit the road maybe as much as you should, then you better spend at least, you know, several thousand dollars, and that's nothing compared to a large budget, just making sure that you've you've hit all your databases, and we're just talking business now, you've got you to either buy databases or you've got to get a hold of databases that make it so that you can get your music to all these crazy places so that you can get reviews out of the Netherlands and you can get reviews out of, uh, you know, uh, someplace in, you know, Timbuktu. Because otherwise, otherwise uh, why did you do it? And I see people make that mistake all the time. They'll put a record out, but they think the world's going to come to them. It's not. It's not going to work that way. That's true. Yeah, and I, 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 I almost want to step in and, and get in people's way and say, listen, man, I don't know how much money you're spending on this record, but you don't want to give all your money to the studio and then be left with nothing to to uh, to send product places. And another thing that we were talking about earlier, you probably heard me and Brandon talking about it. Man, the business has changed. Uh, used to, my iTunes money was, uh, you know, pretty decent. Yeah. And uh, it's dwindling, and it's dwindling because people can stream anything they want to. On you know, they they go to Spotify mostly, I guess. Um, and to the general public, that looks really cool, but yeah. it's not that great. You know, for the artist, it's not. Uh,
1: I was talking to some people in Nashville. Actually, we did a little roundtable kind of thing like this with some buddies up there, and one of them said he thought like the problem with Spotify was that they lowballed at, at the beginning as far as like what they thought they could charge people you know like they're only charging 15 10 bucks a month and he think he thought like if they had started out with just something like you know you if you're going to pay for this you're going to spend 50 60 bucks a month for the streaming service that would that would have uh people would have paid for it and it, way that would have at least helped um pay artists more than you know uh slivers of a penny per play you know i don't know how much it would have done uh, i don't know those those
3: rates that they pay the artists are set by the rate court already yeah i don't understand so yeah i don't i mean maybe if they had more uh they charged a higher fee they could they could probably take care of artists more than that but um those rates are already set by courts, so that's
1: how what is,
3: they pay. I don't know. Um, well, I guess to historicize it a little bit, a long time ago, in after World War II, there was monopolies by BMI and ASCAP, and the they passed some legislation with these things called consent decrees decrees that like limited the what you know how you can license music and everything, and they sent the the. And it was the legislation was decided in New York was where the bill came from, so the rate court in New York is what sets all of the prices since World War II for uh, all that distribution, like for Spotify and everything. So, the new legislation right now is proposing um, that they take the the rate the system away from the courts and put it in arbitration, um, so that way that you as an artist can uh, negotiate a better fee. So hopefully that will work.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have no solution.
3: <laughs> I want to make a database where we all have one number. You log into that and you see
2: how much money you're making in the music industry.
3: That'll never work, but in a dream world, you know.
2: For years and years and years, people have been trying to step in and help musicians to keep from getting screwed. Yeah. And. It's not to say that, that, that there, you know, there are musicians out there and songwriters that are making tremendous amounts of money, but for the, the lion's share uh, are eking out a living. You know, you'll see somebody sometimes you think, really, you really think the world of them, and you realize how great of a songwriter they are or whatever, and then you realize you hear some story about them or you read some story about them, and you go, oh, God, I had no idea they were barely making it. And some really good songwriters out there that are just barely making it. Uh, that's a, that's a shame when you've got, you know, achy breaky heart. I know that's an old song, but you've got some piece of shit, trash like that, that makes a lot of money. You know what I mean? It's sad, you know, it really is. A rump. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad, Thomas, that you said it was okay to cuss on your show. <laughs> Cause you know, really that's how, this is how we talk around the house. I don't, <laughs> you know, so uh, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, I, I, it could have been the other way. It could have been, I, you know, I asked you on the front end if it's okay if we said whatever we wanted to say, and you said it was. And I was really proud of you for <laughs> letting us do that.
1: Well, I, I hate the idea of censorship. So, how
2: you know, does that work? How are you going to, I mean, where the hell are you going to air this with fuck this and fuck that? And I mean, it's going to go on iTunes. Oh. Just
1: put <laughs> a little. Great.
2: Hello out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's just wonderful.
3: (laughs) Should we We not be so negative (laughs) now?
2: Let's do this again. He said, come (laughs) to my house. Take two. Yeah, we'll do it. We should do it
3: on LSD Uh, next time.
2: Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. (laughs) It'd just be one big bunch of laughing is all it would be. (laughs) Uh, Did you remember that Tommy Hancock record uh, where uh, they were in a cabin in, 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 in New Mexico, and he dosed he dosed everybody? And the whole, like, there's about 15 minutes of the backside of this record. All it is is people laughing, and then the laughing, li- it dies down because they're all high on LSD, and the laughing dies down. And then they go again. <laughs> Tommy Hancock. Did y'all know Tommy at all? Yes. Okay. Well, Tommy, of course, is still alive. But I'm trying to write short stories right now. I'm trying to trying to write I think I've got enough for a small book right now, but I don't think anybody would want to read it to be the problem. I'd have to i I'd have to, you know, try to sell it online or maybe do an ebook or something. But I've been looking I've been thinking about all these stories, but Tommy Hancock's stories go they are numerous. And uh, one of the funny stories on Tommy Hancock was he uh, of course he's old West Texas. Tommy Hancock goes way back West Texas. But um he had the supernatural family band so he'd given all the 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 family they, they were in California, and they were going to go to Chinatown. And they were traveling with this Mexican man that was, uh, he was mentally impaired, and his name was George. And they would take George with him. George was literally left on the steps of a uh, a Catholic church in Cuesta, uh, New Mexico years ago. And the priest allowed Tommy to take him with him when they would go on the road. He, he, Tommy liked George, even though he was not mentally sound. He liked George. George wore a fedora backwards. So anyway, Tommy gives the entire band, which are his children and his wife, they all dose up on some LSD, <laughs> but they don't give George any LSD, they do. but they, they didn't think that would be appropriate, and they followed George through Chinatown. <laughs>
3: That's
2: Tommy. I mean, Tommy. something else, man. Oh, God. He, he always talked like he was, he always said, to like, he, he told me one time, he said, Carrie, he said, wait, I always felt like the best way to introduce somebody to marijuana was with cookies. So he's talking about how you should give people cookies. Well. He said, Did I ever tell you the story about the time I came home from Austin? He said, My mother was 92 years old at the time. And he said, I came home and he said, She said to me, she said, Tommy, I just don't feel like living anymore. And he said, Mama, I hate to hear that. He said, So I give her a little sliver of LSD in her cereal. <laughs> He said, I told her it was an herb. He said, because she knows I like to do herbs. And he gives her this LSD, and he goes back to Austin. And he comes back from uh, he comes back from Austin, I don't know, a week or two later. He says, Mother, how'd those herbs do that I gave you? And she said, I spent the whole day in the backyard picking up pecans. <laughs> he said, "Okay." He did his thumb. You know, you show somebody a measurement. He said, Sakari, when I come home, I just give her a little sliver of LSD. Anyway, she's dead now, but LSD didn't kill her. But... Tommy was Tommy's something else. Uh, It's fun to talk about drugs, isn't it?
1: Brandon's getting up and uh, smoking a cigarette in here. No. it's all right. Uh, They're closed. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't care.
2: Are they not allowed to smoke in here?
3: Well, they didn't know until Tom said it on the podcast. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was just describing the the scene a little bit. Um, How has Lubick changed?
4: Uh, what, since when? That? Yesterday. Well, uh, since uh, changed lots on Saturday.
2: Uh, <laughs> it sure did. Yeah.
4: Uh, having moved out here in '90, um, I could see that at least if you're talking about the local music scene, I could see how it was on a peak, and uh, I heard from several people, namely some of the musicians we mentioned today, that there will be that ebb and flow. There'll be a high and low, and there'll be lots of bands, and then all of a sudden it's karaoke everywhere you look. Um, it sure feels like we're on the way up again. There's a lot of bands playing. There's a lot of venues in town. Um, yeah, and some of them, like the Blue Light, are moving through some circuit bands that are really playing some good music. How has Lubbock changed? Um, it's been a good home to me for more than twenty years. Uh, I'd say. I mean, the growth is not only in the population. There are a lot of musicians playing right now. I can't speak for what Brandon keeps calling the younger crowd. Uh, I've been out to some Monday night songwriter jams here in the last year or two, and there's some really good songwriting going on. The musicianship, musicianship is. Oh, high class stuff. I, I I get a little nervous just getting up on a Monday night and it's just songwriters watching, which is really more nerve wracking to me anyway. Um, <laughs> I think it's growing. Mm-hmm. How much of that growth is seen from outside
1: looking in? That's a different question. Yeah. I I don't know. I think like Lubbock's getting a whole lot of buzz right now. And I don't know if, like, people outside realize that, uh, in a way, it's still kind of like a, a boring place for long stretches of time in between those nice shows, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I don't know, I was talking to some folks back when Terry Allen had his Love On Everything show. There's some people coming in from California and Philadelphia and they – you know, we went to this after show at uh, Crossroads. Yeah, rattlesnake milk was playing, and you know they're like, "Man, Lubbock is fucking awesome. This is amazing. You' so lucky to live here." Blah blah. And I was like, "Yeah, I really like it." But you're you're just seeing like an awesome day. You know, there's a lot of time. Like you got like a, war- a warp sense of of what what's happening and I, I kind of think like a little bit of the outside looking in has that warped sense that like and I, and I think it's probably the same way that we look at you know 70s Lubbock that uh you know the Flatlanders Ely uh or like Terry Allen and all those guys were just making music in one year or something like that and of course you know that's over long stretches of time you know I don't know
3: I think the Lubbock's changed quite a bit since I've been here. And uh, and I got here in the late 90s, mid-90s. And uh, only for the... There was was always great bands here. Ever since I can remember being here and what everyone's told me before I got here. And yes, you're right. This is a bubble. And if anyone sees this town warped, it's us because we live here in this bubble. And we're going to shelter ourselves and and the thing that the thing that i think has changed the most is the the audience in Lubbock the participation of the people in town i know it was probably like that at another time before i got here but over these years i've seen much more people be involved in their bands that they like and they're friends with and support them a lot more than than they have in the past um, it's just a different thing and i really think the internet has really changed a lot of what we do here as far as communicating with each other because before you really wouldn't know who's playing where you'd have to see a poster you know or something like that so or read it in the paper which not everybody who's a musician reads the paper so or or likes music but uh, the participation here especially you know with the songwriter night, wade was saying the songwriter night that's one of the major things i saw make a difference as far as getting people into it and letting have the people, all these guys like us that sat here for years, wrote songs in our garage or kitchen or wherever or with each other, you know, it gives you a place to go share that without having to do it in the corner of some Mexican food restaurant. You know, it gives you a nice stage with good lights, great sound and people who give a shit. And that is, that goes like way further than playing in the back of some nacho shack for fucking $100 and a couple of thank yous, you know? So it's it's, it's gotten a little more professional, I think. And people looking at Lubbock outside, because, you know, I moved away from here a couple of years ago. I, I come back all the time, but I see what they think, or, like, I, I see how they react when people talk about Lubbock. And, I see, you know, and then they tell me their own opinions. And a lot of them are, they want to be a part of it. You know, they're a little bit jealous because maybe their community, where they're from, doesn't have that same kind of participation. You know, they don't have people that'll come and that know the words to your songs after they listen to them a couple of times. You know, that's kind of un- not, I'd say unique to Lubbock, it happens everywhere, but it's, it's something we have going on f- for us here. And I think we should embrace it and only make it better as opposed to take the usual stand and... You know Kind of bitch About how everybody's Getting younger And I'm getting older And no one understands What I fucking do anymore You know <laughs> So it, You know he's try to uh Try to pass that Shit on To these younger dudes You know The younger guys The Kuwait's talking I mean like Anyone younger than 40 <laughs> So Uh because they need that. You know, like Carrie was saying earlier, you want that encouragement. You're never going to get. You, I mean, the instant gratification, if you want it, you're never going to get it. If you don't want it, you're going to get it. It just happens that way. This is one of those towns right now that will give it to you if if what you want to do is write songs. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I know there's so many kids now who are moving to Lubbock just to be songwriters. Of course.
2: That, really? Yeah. Like
1: there's oh, yeah. been, you know. Uh, I would I, say at least like ten people I've met in the last—I'll be or so really? have met, or not in the last year, maybe the last two years. Who, uh, oh, for example, like Clodo of Flatland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Tech over here, but like the ultimate factor, like the or the deciding factor between Tech and I don't know where his other secondary school was, but was oh well, Lubbock Music guys playing Lubbock
3: you know go to South Plains and ask how many as half yeah. of those guys out there what they came here for yeah you no know, to learn their craft and a good atmosphere I think
2: mm-hmm. you know I have to admit I am out of touch with the Lubbock music scene really um, it just I just felt like I needed to go elsewhere I still live here but I don't play near as much as I used to, but when I was really trying to chase records, as I say, and try to make sure they were getting sold and getting airplay, uh, I knew I had to get out of here. Yeah. So it meant it meant um, maybe playing to audiences in the beginning. That you, your numbers wouldn't be very good, but you'd make it a point to go back to that club and go back to that place and go back to the place until you built something like anybody would. Um, but you know you got to remember also I mean not to get philosophical here but there is a lot more to life than than music and some of these kids like we were at one time you know you sort of get uh your eyes are kind of you know you know you sort of have uh, some odd dreams I guess as you get older though it's true that um, many of the people that I used to play to in Lubbock, uh, are either dead or they, uh, they stay at home now. They're older. They don't want to go fight a college crowd and I don't want to have to go fight it either. Yeah. Uh, I'm real curious to know what's going to happen here tonight. You know, yeah. you know, this is the first time I've been in this club and I don't know, probably 10 years and um, it's not, I don't even know the people that own the club. I don't know them personally. I don't have, but the last time I played here, it was pretty rough, you know, and it was, uh, because it was, uh, people were more interested in, 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 uh, and, uh, sniffing pussy than they were, uh, trying to, uh, listen to a show, you know, and I didn't come here to watch a bunch of fuckers sniff pussy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know
3: what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: dare you call everybody a bunch of pussy snippers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I like pussy just as much as the next guy. <laughs> I
1: was going to, you know, you, you have like three shows on this series, this Lubbock Legends series. Mm-hmm. Um, are you wanting to expand it to being like
3: a thing? Kind of like a thing, yeah. Yeah. A regular? Well, yeah. Because, you know, we got we got Kerry, Wade. We had Robin, Griffin, Kent Mings. And in the next one, we got D.G. Llewellyn and Mike Pritchard. Um, Who have both been here for a good long while DG, man, my favorite My ultimate favorite, really Kerry's close second
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the thing about DG <laughs> Not to interrupt you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> DG go. uh, DG's uh, His uh, his meter Is impeccable I mean, he has perfect Timing He's a drummer yeah. well, You can tell it by the way he plays the guitar
3: So we got DG, and then, you know the, when I first put that lineup up, you know, everybody's like, oh, that's so great. Well, what about John Sprott? Well, what about, you know, I was like, of course, of course. I mean, there's like so many guys who are, who are literally legendary here that should be on this. And But the problem is, you know, we're trying to space it out and and, and really represent the whole music community. Um, so obviously I couldn't fit everybody in through this summer, but I really want to do one over the holidays, like Christmas. Uh, Maybe one night, make it a a bigger event and have, you know, a little bit bigger showcase uh, just to get make sure that we cover a lot of the music that's not represented uh, this summer.
1: Yeah. Uh, Charlie Stout, who's opening tonight, I know he wanted to kind of on Monday nights, he wanted to enforce that anyone who was going to play Monday nights had to come to at least one of these (laughs) shows to play the next Monday kind
3: of thing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't necessarily know how plausible that was. Uh, or, but I it. thought it was a good idea. I, absolutely kind of Charlie issues. has great ideas. Uh, <laughs> it's just like it's hard to enforce them.
2: Yeah. How, how old of a man is Charlie?
3: He's 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 exactly my age. I think i was, I was the same age. Charlie thirty I'm thirty eight.
2: Well maybe I know Charlie. I don't know. Is Charlie uh What's yeah. Charlie look like? Uh like
3: a like a mangy coyote
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, then it should be easy to find it now. <laughs> <Yeah>,
2: well, uh. <laughs> 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 well, what if Johnny the, did the, the, the Well, if he was here, I'd say not sir shit about anybody's name. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: don't know.
3: Yeah, he has great ideas. But how are you going to how are you really going to enforce that? I mean, but uh, he's also one of the guys that's a big proponent of the listening room only thing for Mondays, which I totally agree yeah. with. And, and uh, tonight too
2: would be a great night for listening room. But
3: you know, it's just so, it's, you know we need, a, we need a sergeant or something around here. Just like, yeah,
2: sometimes you know stand. this bar, looking at this bar right now. Of course, we're we're sitting in the dance floor doing this interview. But um, sometimes if you can talk a club into pushing. Uh, the tables and chairs right up next to the stage, and you can create that.
3: We're about to once we kind of get this thing. Around. Oh,
2: really? So you y'all y'all do that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> many a time, you know, with old Richard Bowden, he'd be going to the manager or somebody and saying, "Wait a minute, can we move some things around? Is that okay?" Because that sure does help if they're right on top of you. Otherwise, they feel like they're at liberty to talk about whatever they want to at the back of the room, you know. And that's. Yeah, I yeah,
3: think we're about to do Richard... tables and candles and stuff here in just one a second.
4: Time saw Richard, put his fiddle down. And... Him and Robin, he walked over. Can't remember what the venue was, but he just simply said, Look, we're not a dance band, so there's no you
2: don't need to have that there. Yeah, and he was requesting really professionally, it was neat to watch. Speaking of being on the road, yeah,
4: I have to mention one thing that BA's got uh, that's a really good hook at this joint is is the time, and if that's an age thing, then so be it but a lot of people that may come out and watch me or Carrie or some of the other names you've gathered here, whatever the math may be at hand, watching shows that start at 11 are not really that crowd's cup of tea. So if you're going to bring in a listening room atmosphere, I think you're on the right track by having an early session that way and then open it up to the late night crowd. Oh yeah. But for the slower summer crowd, I think you're on, this is a really, really
3: neat thing to be involved. Yeah. And good job to, to the blue light too, for being, you know, they, they work, they'll they work with you here on anything. they have done a great job putting it together. These guys are extremely extremely nice. They're, they're the best in the business. Like, for real. They really are. And so when we came to them with the idea, they were like, whatever you want to do, place is yours, you know, let's have fun. Whatever you need, give us a call. So Yeah. So, and that's been the case since I've started playing here.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, we're coming on an hour here. 30 minutes until doors open. I guess you guys want to do a sound check and everything. So thank you guys for doing this, first off.
2: Yeah, thank you. I really, I'm honored that uh, you got in touch with us. Uh, and Brandon, thank you. I appreciate you, you know, including me in, in your songwriter thing here. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll have a good run with this and you'll be able to continue this. <clears throat> I
3: hope so. I was kind of counting on y'all's headliner uh, draw to make it all happen, (laughs) so no pressure.
2: Well, I will say this. uh, uh, It's going to be a rather interesting night because of the passing of Garland Peterson, so it's going to be a rather somber evening, but uh, that's okay. You know, we all have to, you know, we do these things, and uh, his wife, I think, may come tonight. She texted me and said she may show up. I really hope so. Yeah.
3: I wanted to bring his guitar so we can so we can set it up and over here and the, fly the missing man formation on the stage tonight.
2: Hey, uh, do you have her phone number?
3: Mm, no, but...
2: I mean, if Facebook. you wanted me to, I could... Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't do Facebook, so I'm, I'm so out of touch with that well, kind I mean, of thing. I mean,
3: phone number's cool, too. It's, yeah. It's easy.
2: Okay, well, <laughs> you guys know more about that techno stuff we'll than give,
3: I do. Yeah, we'll give her a shout and, and really want to really want to make it about. Garland. I'm going to try to make it fun too tonight, not completely. Yeah, sad.
2: oh, yeah, sure. Hell, Garland wouldn't want us to all come in here and cry in our milk.
3: Well, I got the blue light to donate a 30 pack of uh, Coors Original, his favorite beer. So at some point tonight, we're going to pass them out. And I'm, I'm thinking shotgun. I don't know. But <laughs> okay. uh, at least a toast, at yeah. <laughs> to the very least. So we'll try to liven it up a bit. Thanks
4: for having us, Tom. Thank you,
3: Tom.